This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. So, okay, so, so this is the deal. First of all, we would like to welcome um, and welcome in the future. Um, invite, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you, me. Uh, we would like to invite everybody to join us at 1601, delay responsible here, 1601 Quentin Road every Thursday uh, for women at the BJX location. Okay. Every Thursday? I didn't say every Thursday? Yeah, yeah, I think it's officially, we're, we're, we're staying here unofficially, officially. So until, uh, yeah, so right now, Baruch Hashem, we have the place, so, so we'll see um, how long uh, this goes with the mercy of Hashem and the kindness of Hashem. Okay, so now, I just said location. Okay, <laughs> okay. so, so, um, but I, I was also like thinking, like, did I not say it? Okay, so now, it's, it's almost like I should really stop this and start it again, right? But I'm not. I'm not. But, for the online world, that does happen from time to time. So they are missing out, so join us. Um, okay, so, oh, and also we are learning to the Fuash Lema to Yechezkel Ben Tila. And, oh, and one last, uh, one last thing to, to mention. Last week we started our, we continued and started, we continued slash started our, uh, foundation of faith, the, the 13 principles of faith. And my intent, my, really my intent was to continue with it until Shavuot and then maybe do like one or two classes on Shavuot, closer to Shavuot, and then, uh, you know, uh, possibly if I needed to finish the series afterwards. For some reason, last Shabbat, this past Shabbat, I was, I was thinking about it, I'm like, you know what, maybe, I haven't done the hidden, you know, like we've done, done the hidden story of different, we did the, the story of Purim, the story of Ruth, we did the, sto- uh, the story of Pesach, uh, we did a bunch of different, and I'm like, you know, we haven't done it in a while, maybe I should do the one on Matan Torah. And uh, for some reason, something twitched in my brain, I'm like, yes, we have to do it. I'm like, we're stopping all the series, now we're focusing on it. And one of the things that I, that I wanted to do is when we did, I, I still remember this, when we did the hidden story of, of Pesach or the hidden story of Exodus, we, took a, we, we, took, we did it in three classes, but each class was like two hours long. And so you know how many times I was apologizing for the people, like, I'm sorry, but we have to like, continue it. So I'm like, let's, and I had to rush through it. So I want to do things right. Let's do it slow. We'll do it we'll start now, and hopefully we'll be done in time of uh, Shavuot, hopefully a little bit uh, you know, sooner. So <clears throat> that being said, so we're going to put the, on hold the Foundation of Faith series, and we're going to do the, the story of Shavuot, the story of Matan Torah. Now, before we even begin this, there's a very interesting pasuk in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 9. It says, Raki shamel lecha ushmo nafshecha. You have to be, you know, the Torah is written now, it says, you have to beware and watch yourself. Lest you forget what your eyes saw, and then it finished off the pasuk. And you have to te- you have to teach your children and your children's children what you saw. So the Ramban learns now from this from this verse. What is it? this is referring to this, the 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 giving of the Torah in Hal Sinai. There is a positive and a negative commandment in this pasuk. Number one, there is a negative commandment: you shall never ever forget what your eyes saw on Hal Sinai. That's the that's a negative commandment. The positive commandment is that you have to teach your children and your children's children what you saw on Hal Sinai. Now, obviously, we're not speaking about the generation. You know, we're 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 quite a little bit, you know, a distance from our generation from the that that saw Matan Torah. However, we still have the same obligations. We cannot forget it, and we have to teach it to our children. Now, how could somebody go and teach it to their children the story of Shavuot, the story of Matan Torah, the story of Hasinai, if they don't know the details of themselves? So, that being said, the 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 way that I want to do it is actually go into um, this story. I'm actually going to 
continue where we left off by the hidden story of Pesach. So we, we started off with the, um, with the hidden story of, of Pesach last, well, it's two years ago, I think. Two years ago, we finished off the story that we went through, there was the ten plagues. And there was the exodus of the Jews went to, to, you know, out of Egypt. And then the Jews, then they got chased into the sea. And when they chased into the sea, the Egyptians chased after them. And then the Egyptians went, and the Egyptians got drowned. And after they got drowned, the Egyptians, uh, you know, the, the, their wealth, their gold, got thrown onto the, to the shores. And the Jewish people were collecting the shores. Collecting the shores. Collecting the treasures. Thank you for correcting myself, me. Alright, we're talking to myself a lot today. Um, they were, they were collecting all the treasures. So we're and then they sang Shirah, they sang God, praise to God. This is where we left off from uh, two years ago. So, hope you remember that part, uh, but you can always review it on TorahAnytime.com. So we're going to continue from, from, from that story. Now, before we actually begin with that story, there's a very interesting, uh, you know, mashal that I've seen, that I've read, that, actually I've read this quite a few times. There was once a king, and this king had a princess, and uh, this was not taken by Disney yet. There was once a king, it was taken by, by, you know, they had a princess, and he wanted to find the most suitable match for this, for his, for his daughter. So he decided that instead, he wasn't interested in money, he wasn't interested in politics, he wasn't interested in, you know, he, but the one thing that he was interested in, he, was a, he wanted a strong character, somebody who had intelligence, somebody who was able to fight for what was right. So he decided he was going to devise a plan. What he did was, is that he built this impenetrable castle, castle for his daughter, and uh, he placed his daughter inside. Then he sent, you know, declarations to all over the world. And he said, whoever can go into this castle, whoever can get into this castle, they will be able to marry my daughter. They'll be the richest person in the kingdom. They'll be the next uh, king. So when you hear a thing like this, every suitable, you know, match came up. Even non-suitable matches probably came up as well. <laughs> they came over there and they said, you know what? Let's go find my Bashar. Let me go find... This is the one that I'm supposed to be married. I'm supposed to marry the princess. And they're going and they're trying very hard. Now they're looking. The, the entire castle, there was no windows. There was no doors. It was, it was built on a slant that they couldn't even... Like, not the slant this way, the slant this way. So they couldn't even climb up on it. And it was made with very slipper, slippery type of, uh, of bricks. So they couldn't even grab onto anything. So you had all the strong warriors, all the princess, all the big businessmen. They came over there. They're walking around. They were scanning the entire area. They tried to... They even tried to break it down. They tried to go and come with like um, battering rams and they tried to go and break it down. The wall was so strong, there was nothing that they could do. So after a few months, everybody came, everybody left. Then there was one guy who came over there. He was looking at it from the distance. He was like, there's got to be a way. If the king did this, he didn't make something impossible because the daughter is actually inside there with all the maidservants. There must be a reason and there must be a way and entrance to go in. So he goes... And he starts using his intelligence. He started to go looking around to see where there will be some sort of opening. He looked the entire area. He scanned the entire area. There was nothing. There was Everything was solid. So what he did was he went inch by inch with like a little macro, uh, magnifying glass to see maybe there's something going on over there. He went once. He went twice around. He couldn't find anything, but he did not give up. He kept on going and going. After a long time at it, he finally found something that looked very odd. He saw like a little crack like a little crevice that was going in the bricks. And he sort of followed it, and it came to like a little, little small hole. And he's like, this got to be something over here. So he took a little chisel, and he started chiseling out the little stones that were there. And he realized that those stones came out very easily. And he took out one stone after another stone until he realized it was a small window. So he stuck his head into the window, and he started screaming, you know, princess, princess, you know, you, you got to come help me. I've been here for such a long time. I found the window, but I can't get inside. This window is so small. So the princess, you know, hears, uh, you know, someone screaming. She comes, she, she comes to the window and she says, listen, he says, you did well. You did better than everybody else. 
but uh, I have faith in you. Keep on going, keep on searching, keep on finding, and you're going to find there is a door somewhere. So with the motivation that he got for the princess, he's like, you know what, I found the window, I'm going to be able to find the door. He goes, and again, he's looking for that small little crack that he could find. He goes one time around, two times around. Finally, he finds some sort of like crack that he sees along the lines. He's like, could this be it? And he starts to peel off one rock, and he, it's, it's similar to the rocks in the window. And he starts taking off one rock after another rock after another rock, <clears throat> until there's a door over there. So he goes over to the, you know, to the princess and says, listen, princess, you know, I'm like, I found the window. I found the door, but the door is locked. How am I supposed to get in there? The princess says, I have faith in you. Don't worry about it. You're going to be able to go and find the, you know, the entrance to the, to, you know, to the door. So somehow he's able to get into the door, uh, into, into this door. And he opens the door. He gets into the castle. The first guy finally gets into the castle. When he gets into the castle, what does he see? A thousand other doors. He's like, you got to be kidding me. He's like, I'm, now I'm finally inside. Now I'm supposed to do it. So he goes and he starts screaming to, for the princess again. He screams and screams and screams. Suddenly the princess pokes her head from like, you know, a big balcony. And she says, yeah, what can I do for you? He says, listen, he says, I found the door. I found the entrance to the door. I found the window. But he says, but I, there's no way I can find the keys for all these doors. You got to help me out. So the princess says, you know what? He says, you worked really, really hard. And you found this much. I'm going to tell you where to find the keys. And she tells him where to find the keys. He goes and he finds it in some sort of hidden place. He finds like a thousand keys. And he's like, what am I supposed to do with this? So every door, he's trying all the key. Every door, he's trying another key. And he's going, going through all the doors. And finally, until one door after another door, he's able to open it until he finally reaches a princess. And the princess says, Mazel tov, let's make a lachayim, this is our vart. You know, so she calls the, the, the king, they send a, a message to the king. The king comes in, and the king says, you know what, you know, congratulations, you're going to be the one that marries off my daughter. This is really the story of the Jewish people. When the Jewish people went, and they, it wasn't just that they got the Torah. They had to go and they had to search for the Torah. It was, it was difficult. God tested them. And we're going to see, the reason why I'm starting off with this story is we're going to see the test that God gave them. It wasn't so simple that the Jews got the, got, just got the Torah. They got tested. Sometimes they failed. Sometimes they passed. Sometimes they partially failed. Sometimes they partially passed. They went and they, and they got tested. And they have to find and search for it. And this is really the lesson of, of learning the Torah. When you learn the Torah, it doesn't come just easy. You have to go and you have to break your head over it. You have to go and you sweat over it. And then you look and you learn and you study. And then what are you going to do? Then you have to pray. You have to pray, like the, 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 the future prince, like this man went and kept on screaming to the princess, please help me, please help me. And they kept, and finally what we do is we pray to God, please help us. And we pray and we pray and we pray and we study and we study and we study until eventually we got uh, the Torah and we're able to get the Torah also in, in our days, day and age. So with that understanding, let's try to figure out some of the tests that the, the Jewish people went through in, um, well, after, after the exodus of Egypt. So now, <clears throat> Where we left off from the previous series, or the previous of the hidden story of, of the Exodus of Pesach, was that the Jewish people collected all the spoils, all the, the wealth. The way it worked was is that when they, in the olden days, when, they, when the people went to war, they wanted to show confidence to their soldiers. So what did they do is they, they took all their wealth with, with them, and they displayed them to show. To showing that, what, look how confident we are that we're going to win, that we're putting all our money out, out there. It's like... Um, I don't know if this is a good example. It's probably a bad example. It just popped into my head. Let's say you want to take a um, a group of people to a very dangerous location as a, you're a tour guide, and you want to take them to this location. But it's very dangerous. There's a lot of robbers, a lot of people that go and mugging over there. Just a, not a good area. So you go over there, and you tell the people, listen, we're going to go. And they go, no, listen, it's very dangerous. Just don't worry about it. You go, this guy goes and straps on a suit that has a bunch of $100 bills just stuck all over his jacket. Oh, wow. Just one of those. He says, listen, he says, you think I'll go with this jacket 
Nowadays, it probably doesn't exist because you go anywhere. Even the upscale neighborhoods, people are going to, you know, actually, I'm going to go off the topic. They, were, they actually did a very interesting, um, uh, like, uh, this was a while back. I, I may, I may uh, like, misrepresent this, but they did a, a, a sort of a, um, a, I don't know if it was a study or an experiment where they took a person and they put a bunch of money on him. And they went into, like, I don't know if it was a wealthy neighborhood and a bad neighborhood. And they went, there was like a homeless guy, and the homeless guy said, what's up with all your money? And he's like, listen, if you want, you could uh, take whatever you want. So the homeless guy went, and he took like a few dollars. And the guy says, you don't want to take any more? He says, no, I'll leave it for other people. And then they went to like the rich neighborhood. And they had a fan, guys were there with business suits or, or a woman dressed very fancily, modestly, um, you know. And they went, and they started taking off. They're like, this is, what is this for? So the guy told them, says, take as much as you want. And they just started taking off everything. And they show the difference. Look at the homeless guy. The guy who has nothing is willing to go and, and save it for other people. The guys who had everything that don't need this money, what do they need this money? For a Starbucks or something like that. So yeah. they didn't need the $40 that were on and to pay for a coffee over there. So they went and they started taking everything. But the guy that has nothing didn't take anything. The guy that has everything wanted, wanted everything. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, the, the, the idea was is that if you're walking into a place covered in money, either you're confident that you're not going to be murdered or even more confident that no one's even going to take anything. So the way that they used to do is they wanted to get the soldiers uh, in, in war, in fighting in general. It's a lot about psychological. Everything, in, the truth is in life, everything is psychological. So what they did was they wanted to show their soldiers, look how con- you know, confident we are that we're going to win this war. That they took their entire treasure house. They went and they displayed all the gold and the jewels and the, every precious gem that they have. And they drove with it to war, showing that look how confident we are that we're going to go over there and we're going to come back as as winners. However, the Egyptian army did not come back as winners. They came with all their wealth. They went and they sunk into into the sea. Now, what did God do? God went and he took all the, 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 the jewels and all the gems and all the gold that was sunk in the bottom of the sea. And when the Jews came on the other side of, of, of the sea, God went and made the sea spit out all the gold. So the Jews were collecting all the gold. And they were picking up all the money, all the jewels. Now, at this point in time, Moshe was, you know, saying like, let's go, guys. We got to go. We got to get the Torah. We got to, you know, Andre. Was it Andre? Andre? He's like, Andre, Andre. But in, in Spanish would come out. Yeah, but still, he was saying, Andre, 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 let's go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to hurry up. So the Jews were like sort of hesitant. They didn't want to go out. They didn't want to go. So there was a few reasons why they didn't want to go. So number one is because they were collecting cash from the floor. So they didn't want, they were like, but there's still stuff here. Like we still got to take this stuff. And they wanted to collect more and more money. There was another reason is that when they came into um, into into the splitting of the sea and they sang Shia, they sang this where Az Yashir and Moshe, when Moshe and, and, and the entire Jewish nation sang Shia, they had a revelation, they had a divine revelation. They saw with you know, they saw the Shekhinah. So there was a spiritual high that was associated with this place. And they were like, We don't want to leave this place. Like, this is like a very spiritual place. We just saw the Shekhinah over here. We want to stick around over here. There was a third reason that they didn't want to go, is that the Jewish people still had an emotional tie to the Egyptian society, to the Egyptian land, for that for that matter. And the way that I can explain it is like sometimes you have people that are in a very very abusive relationship, but they're so used to it that they can't leave. They they just they're just used to the abuse, so they're used to it that they're sort of stuck in it and they don't know anything else. So the Jewish people also they were used to Egypt, they were used to being slaves. They're it, it was hard, even though it's, it's freedom, but it was hard to break away from that. The, the fourth reason was 
the Jewish people thought like this. The Jewish people said, listen, says, let's think, you know, smart for a second. God did so many things for us. What did he do? He went and he gave us a cloud, he gave us a clouds of glory. He went and he split the sea. He drowned our enemies. He gave us their treasures. He gave us prophetic inspiration. We have divine revelation over here. He says, listen, God is obviously on our side. He says, you know what we got to do? He says, we got to go back to Egypt. Egypt, how many men are left in Egypt? Everybody came to fight us. They're all dead. He says, we go back to Egypt. We conquer Egypt. That's our homeland now. Now we are the control and they're the, they're the slaves. This is what their Jews were thinking. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, listen, you can't go back. God said, <clears throat> it, you know, in Exodus, it's uh, chapter 14, verse uh, 13. It says that you're never going to the, the, you're never going to be able to go back to Egypt. You're never allowed to even go back to Egypt. You're supposed to, you know, uh, leave Egypt and never return. And furthermore, Moshe Rabbeinu said, God took us out for what? To give us the Torah. He says, we have to go get the Torah. It's not going to conquer, you know, Egypt. The way that the Jews were thinking about it, the Jews, they, they saw the Shekhinah, they saw the divine revelation. They didn't realize there is a higher level to go in spirituality. They thought like, yeah, we reached the top. Like, we literally saw the Shekhinah. Like, how higher can you go? And Moshe said, no, 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 no. We said, we're going to go and get the Torah. You know, there's a lot higher than that, that can be done. There, there are also, you know, the, the idea that God told Abraham that he's going to give the the... the the children of Israel, that his children is going to give them the land of Israel. But they thought, what's the rush? We don't have to. He didn't say it has to be right now. And their idea, their thought was like this. Let us go back to Egypt. Easily conquerable. We'll go over there. We'll practice our fighting. We'll practice our war skills. When we're ready, then we're going to go and then we're going to attack the Canaan. And we don't have to, you know, to, to, to go and result to, to miracles. So, Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, we have to go right now. We have to go get the Torah from, um, from Har Sinai. There was also a fifth, uh, a fifth reason why they wanted to say the Mamla is bring this down is that surprisingly the Jewish people actually wanted to. Well, I shouldn't say Jewish people. The people wanted to go, and you'll soon see why. I just switched that. The people wanted to go back to Egypt to worship the Egyptian gods, and the question is obviously like, what, are you kidding me? It's like after everything that God did, they wanted to go back to Egyptian God. And what's surprising says the Mamla is it brings down that Moshe Rabbeinu actually had a debate with them. He had a debate with them to prove them that all the Egyptian gods are false, they're nullified, they're nothing, they're nothing. Their only real god is only the god that took you out of Egypt. That's the only real god. Once he convinced them, then they left, then they decided that they're gonna, they're gonna agree with Moshe Rabbeinu and they left. This is why it says in the Pasuk in Shemot chapter, in Exodus chapter 15 verse 22, it says, And Moshe led the Jewish people away from Yamsuf. What is he that he led them? It should have said that they all traveled together because they were stuck to the place. They didn't want to leave. They were there. They, we, we just gave five different reasons of why they wanted to stay. But Moshe Rabinu had to convince them. He said, no, no, no. He says, we got to go. We got to go. And he gave them the reasons. And finally, they decided to win. The real kicker of why they left was they had the, the Ananiakavod. They had the clouds of glory. And the clouds departed from that area and they left to a different area. Now, the Jewish people... When they saw the clouds leave, they realized, okay, God wants us to follow the clouds. The, the clouds are associated with getting the divine presence. And this is why the, um, at this point in time, they did not question Moshe Rabbeinu. They saw the clouds leave, they just went. They went into the desert without any, they didn't start asking them, hey, what about food? What about water? We're going to the desert now. What about, they didn't ask anything. This is why it says in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 2, it says, I remember the chesed, the loving kindness of your youth. It says, And you went and you traveled with me in the desert, in the barren land, 
without any question. You didn't have, it was no, there, was not, there was nothing sown there. There was no water. There was no food. And the Jewish people just followed Moshe Rabbeinu without any questions asked. So <clears throat> they went and they traveled for three days. They traveled for three days in the, this uh, desert that is known as the Shur Desert. Now, why is it called Shur? This is based off the, the word Shur means um, it comes from the word Ashurenu, which is from uh, Bamidbar in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. It says, Ashurenu, I will see it. What is the, what is the, because the, really the real name of this desert was, was Etam. It was, it was a different name altogether. But why did they call it Shore? Because the reason why, the, Shore means the sea, like I said, the reason why the Jewish people left this, uh, the shore and they followed into the, into the, into the desert is because they, they thought about this for a second. They said, listen, the clouds of glory is where we had the divine presence. So we have to follow the clouds of glory if we want to get the divine presence again. So the reason why they left is because they wanted to envision, they wanted to see the clouds of gl- glory again. They wanted to see the Shekhinah. They wanted to see the revelation of God. So they, because they traveled into the desert because of what they wanted to see, so it was known as the shore desert. So, they're traveling into this desert. Now, when they're traveling in the desert, it wasn't just... I mean, traveling in the desert is never just peaceful. But besides the, all the hardships of the desert, there were neighboring countries that they heard what happened to Egypt. And they were allies of Egypt. And they were like, well, listen, we're not going to just let this go. So they send you know, people to attack, you know, even though it wasn't full armies, because that only happened by, you know, the first time was Amalek. But they, they sent people to attack the Jewish people. So they sent like like lone you know warriors to go and attack over here, attack over there. But what God did it was God went and and he made you know like huge snakes and scorpions go and attack these people that came to attack the Jewish people. And now one person from the Jewish nation, even on the lowest level, was harmed from these you know attackers, from these uh, terrorists, if you would call them that. So. They're traveling, they travel for three days, and on the 25th of Nisan, they arrived in a place called Marah. This is, uh, Marah's, it's bitter. They, what was, what was going on here? They traveled there, they were thirsty, they didn't have anything to drink. They came over there, and there was water over there. But the water was Marah, was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah, is after, after the bitter waters. So the Jewish people, you know, again, the people started, I have to correct myself, the people started complaining. He says, what's going on over here? We went and we don't have anything to do. Moshe Abedu, what are you doing to us? The children are crying. The woman, we have pregnant women. They need to drink water and there's nothing to drink over here. So Moshe Abedu, Mamelos brings down, Moshe Abedu was looking at this and says, you know what? He says, why did God create water that's bitter in a desert? It makes absolutely no sense. And he was pondering on what's the reason that God created this water. So God came over to him and says, hey, listen, stop pondering the reasons of why I, you know, what, what my ways are. Just pray. And then you'll come up with a solution. So Moshe went and he cried out to God in prayer. And, Mo- and God showed Moshe this tree, which had bitter wood. And he says, you take this wood, you write the Shema Mephorash, God's name on this piece of wood, and you throw it into the water. When you throw it into the water, it's going to make it sweet. Now what's very interesting is that this wood was extremely bitter. Not only was it bitter, it was actually poisonous to the animals. And God commanded Moshe Abinu to write his God's name on it, throw it into the water, and the water is going to turn sweet, and then the Jew- Jewish people are going to be able to go and, uh, and drink this water. So really what God was doing over here, God was testing the Jewish people. He, God was testing them and said, listen, and they kind of failed in a certain aspect. They said, instead of going, they came to the water. Instead of asking Moshe Abinu for advice, what is the first thing that they started doing? They started complaining. They started complaining, and because of their complaint, obviously there was a trigger effect that happened. But 
before we even begin to, to understand this concept, we have, to, we, have a, we have a very important question. There's a contradiction. We know at one point in, in Shemot, in Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, it says, And the Jewish people feared God. And they went and they believed. They had faith in Moshe and they had faith in God. They believed in God, they feared God, and they had faith in God. So at one point, we're, telling that, we're, we're saying that the Jewish people had faith and fear in God. Another point we're saying, and also in Moshe, not fear, but they had faith. And another point we're saying that what? That the, the Jewish people complained against God. So which one is it? So really, the answer is that the majority of the people, and this is why I said earlier, I said the Jewish people, and I said, no, let me correct it. Because the majority of the people really did have faith. But there was a minority that didn't, and they kept on testing again and again. And who are these people? Very good. Thank you very much. It was Erevav. Could it be, um, you said like one point it says they have faith, the other point you said not. Could it like be that it's like they had like, Emunah, but not like bitachon, because that's like faith, but not like in their heart. That's a very good point. That's a very interesting point. Um, I would venture to say no, because the people that had faith had faith, because you have to remember where they're coming from. They're coming from a place that they saw God in an unprecedented type of way. Like they saw so much. So I believe it was the difference of the people. And I think what I'm about to say might answer your question in a minor way. So, Moshe Rabbeinu takes this this, uh, um, this bitter wood, throws it into the water, and the water turns their water turns sweet. But even though the water turns sweet, it still looked the same. It looked foul. It looked it looked dirty. It still didn't look sweet, if I could say it that way. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, "Don't worry about it. Drink it." And one person went and tried drinking it, and it was the most delicious sweet water that they've ever tasted. And once they did that, everybody started drinking, it, and it was amazing. Now we have to try to like break this down. Like, what was really going on over here? The Magid of Mizrich goes and says like this. He says that the Jewish people came to the, to the bitter waters. And what does it say when it came to the bitter waters? It says they couldn't drink it. Why? Because the waters were bitter. However, there's a different way to interpret this, the, these three words. means that not only the waters were bitter, means also they were bitter. Meaning that the people were bitter. And this is also something that is historically that, 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 that happened when the people left Egypt. It says that when people went through, through Yamsa. So God made the greatest miracle of all times, split the sea. Can you imagine that? It was like, you know, you're talking about like miles high of water just splitting. The Jewish people walked in and it was like as if it was dry land. However, there were muddy parts. And the Jewish, the people complained, ah, oh, the people complained, well, it's muddy. You know, are you, can you believe it? It's muddy. Like, are you serious? Like, you're seeing the greatest miracle of all times, and you're complaining that it's muddy? This is what I think, you know, when I go on, let's say, on, a, you know, on an airplane. I say this all the time because I think it's, it's fascinating. And there's a little bit of turbulence. And, the, you know, you ask, you ask the person, so how was the flight? Well, you know, they didn't give me the peanuts on time, and it was a little bit shaky at the time. In my mind, I'm like, if you've ever flown ever, you realize that you're flying on a missile 500 miles per hour, 10,000 feet in the air, or 30, whatever it is. I don't know. I forgot the, 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 you know, the amount of height you're going over there. And you're complaining that it's a little bit shaky? Are you serious? I'm like, you're... you're Thank God. like It's unbelievable. Yeah, but, <laughs> but the reason is, the reason really is, is that there are certain people that are negative people. And there are certain people that are positive people. Negative people will complain about anything and everything. Positive people will always find something good to say. You know, and I speak to many people, and 
At times I speak to people who have literally everything, everything that they want, but yet they're always complaining. And then I speak to people who have nothing and they're always so grateful to God and thankful to God. And I'm like, how does this work? I'm like, here's a person that has everything and they're still complaining. Here's a person that has nothing and is so grateful. Because it depends not only what you have, it depends on your personality. It depends on the person. And in fact, they did a study. There was a study that was done and it was, it was printed in the, in the Journal of Personality and, so, and Social Psychology that what you say about others really tells a lot about you. And what, how do they do this study? Is that they asked people to rate other people. And based on how they rated other people, they were able to go and understand on how they were. So if you rated a person positive and you had positive, you know, you know, understanding, you judge a person favorably, they realize that this person is more happier, has more emotional stability, and you know, they're more calmer and so on and so forth. But if you rated the person negatively, there must be something also going on in your life. Uh, you know, this is the concept of, um, the very famous, I don't know, story or a joke that, uh, you know, this, um, wife comes into the kitchen, Husband's inside over there, the wife looks out the window, you know, and she's looking at her neighbor. The neighbor's hanging out, you know, the, the laundry, and she says, like, can you believe it? He says, I don't understand what's going on with this neighbor. Every time they do the laundry, the laundry's dirty, and they're hanging it out. The husband sighs, and he continues drinking his coffee. The next day, the, you know, come out over there, and she's like, again? Look, he says, what's wrong with their washing machine? Well, obviously, they don't have a washing machine. They're hanging. What's wrong with the way that they're washing it? Every day, it's dirty. Finally, after a few days of doing it, you know, the wife comes in and finally she says, oh, you know, finally, now they're hanging up clean laundry. She says, can you, you see, finally, finally, they, they, you know, they realized how to do laundry and they're doing clean laundry. The husband said, listen, he says, nothing has changed. He says, all I did was I cleaned the windows. He says, the windows are dirty. That's why it looked like it was dirty before. I know that. So it all depends, like many times in life. We see problems, but it depends on what are the windows, what are the glasses that you're looking. Sometimes you're going, anybody that wears glasses could attest to this. Sometimes you're looking and be like, wait a minute, says, why can't I see clearly? And you're like, is something going on with my vision? And then you take off your glasses and you clean it and you're like, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, like there is light, you know, Baruch Hashem. You know, like it's amazing because in life, it, it's not really the situation that warrants your response. It's the it's the type of glass that you're looking through. If you're looking through a positive lens, you're going to see things positively. If you look through a negative lens, you're going to see things negatively. And this happens in all aspects of life. That you could have somebody could could go on the greatest vacation ever, right? You could travel travel to Hawaii in first class, and everything is amazing. Everything is unbelievable. Yet they'll find well, the food was not good, and it took me a long time, and I got burnt, and I blah 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 all the other things. Yet you could find somebody that took a trip to Detroit by accident. At, I don't know about Detroit, whatever. I don't know why I said Detroit, but you took a trip, you know, and they had the greatest time ever. Like, what's the difference? Like, you have here the same person. It, it depends on the lenses that you're looking at. Negative people see things negative. Positive th- people see things positive. <clears throat> I can only say this story because that actually happened, you know, somewhat to me. It also is, um, you have to, like, fake it to, like, you make it. Like, even, like... If it's true. If you Sometimes you do, right. It's like wearing, like, a smile makes you feel better. Sometimes you do, and that's what, something that we spoke about last week. You, you fake it till you make it, or you fake it till you become it. Oh. But... Here's a, here's an interesting, you know, Baruch Hashem, thank God this hasn't happened to me in a while, but this has happened to me before. So you walk into a place, and you walk in, you sit down, by me it happened to be shul, and, um, 
And you take a sniff and be like, wow, it smells terrible. Like, what's going on over here? And then you look over to the guy next to you and be like, are you kidding me? Like, when was the last time you showered? You know, like in your mind, you don't tell us it. And you take a step away. And then you're like, wow. I'm not saying this happened to me, hypothetically. Um, and then you take a few steps away and be like, are you serious? It still smells so bad. I'm like, what's going on over here? And you take a few steps further and it still smells bad. I'm like, how is this aura of smell? Until you look down at your shoes and you realize, this is before actually the law came out that you have to pick up your dog's excrement. Um, until you realize you're the source of the smell. It wasn't the other guy. It was you who was the problem. There are many times in life that you're going and, and you, th- you start blaming other people before looking at yourself. And you realize, wait a minute, like maybe it's me that, that is the issue. So in a way, it was good that I walked away because now nobody else smelled what was on my shoe. But, the, but in essence, this is what we do all the time. We tend to put blame on things that we make an initial impression on. You know, like, uh, this is a while back. <clears throat> I haven't seen this guy in a while. There was a guy who dressed as if he was homeless. Possibly he was. He used to wear uh, tablecloths under his um, jacket. And, like, uh, and he would walk around during the streets. And, people, and when he came to the synagogue to collect money, everybody would... Sh- it was like Kriyat Yamsuf, right? Everybody just shifted to the side. He was able to walk wherever he wanted. Um, and this was, you know, this is, you know, this is not the way that you treat, you know, even though they smell. And there was a few times that, you know, I saw him in the street, so I stopped by and I said, like, do you need a ride somewhere? And so he, he got into his car, he had to like, you know, put all the tablecloths into the car, and he got into the car, and, and we drove it. And you think, okay, fine, like, you know, my car's gonna smell like for like a month now. Like, it's not so bad. You roll down the windows within 10 minutes, the, the smell is, the smell, you know, the smell is gone. So what happens is people do is that they see a first impression, they make a decision that they want, and that's it. It's impossible to change it. That person's not a human being anymore. That person doesn't deserve anything. The person doesn't shower. That person doesn't do whatever it is that you decide in your mind, and you judge a person based on that. But how many times do you judge a person based on your own psychological upbringing? There are many times that we judge a person based on our own perception. We don't judge a person correctly. We don't judge a person, you know, the, the favorably. We're judging based on our own upbringing. This person is, is not worthy, and this is why you have the upper class, the middle class, the, lo- the lower class. It has nothing to do with the amount of money that you have. It's the amount of perception that you have. Do you think that you're better than everybody else? Do you think that you're in the middle of everybody else? Or do you think that you're lowest on the totem pole? So it really depends on where you're looking. The And... You know, this happens in all aspects of life. You could have somebody that won a half a billion dollars in the lottery. And you see him complaining. He says, you know how much I have to pay for taxes? They're like, what? Who cares if you have to pay 40, 50%? You have a quarter of a million dollars. Like, why are you complaining? Because there's some people that are just bitter people. And there's some people that are just happy people. Now, when it says over here that the Jewish, that the people complained, it says that the people complained against Moshe Rabbeinu. Rashi says that what was it they complained? They did not go to Moshe Rabbeinu and say, hey Moshe Rabbeinu, listen, there's water over here, what should we do? Like, do you have any advice for us? No, they started complaining. Why? Because they found something that they wanted to complain about. When you want to complain, you'll always find a problem. You could be in this beautiful location, you can say it's too hot, it's too cold, it's not enough food, it's not blah, 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 blah. Whatever it is, it's too noisy, there's too many people screaming outside, which is true sometimes. But, it, you know, like, or you could be like, this is amazing. We have to thank, you know, God. We also have to thank BJX and Bedjoa. We have to thank the people that gave us the ability to go and, 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 you know, and be in this type of place. Or you could be like, oh no, I can't believe this, I can't believe that, I can't believe this is so bad, I can't believe this is so terrible, it's cold, it's hot. 
you, you could definitely open. You could do whatever you want. Oh, no, I'm not saying that as a hint. <laughs> I'm used to. When I come to certain classes, I know I'm going to sweat, and I'm, I'm fine with that. I came to the terminology. It's good. No, but you have to understand, because I get more reward if I sweat. So in a way, I, you know, okay. So, <laughs> bring it on. So, <clears throat> okay. So now... It was a, a very, very famous story that um, I said before, but it's, it's very worth it to uh, repeat again. Somebody went over to his rabbi and he says, Rabbi, you have to teach me, how do I, get, how do I understand life's challenges? So he says, listen, I can't have your answer. I'm going to send you to Rabzusha. Go to Rabzusha and you're going to go and he's going to answer your, your questions. So he goes over and he, and he travels to this town where he finds Rabzusha and he, start, he actually acts in the town. He says, where is Rabzusha? Where is he says, Rabzusha? He says, you've got to go to the, the poorest part of town and then ask them where to go. So he goes to the poorest part of town and he says, no, you've got to go to... The poor people said you have to go to the poor part of town. Like, that's how poor Rabzusha was. So he goes over to Rabzusha's house. It's like there's no windows. Everything is fr- freezing. You know, like in the olden days when you're... In the olden days when people read books, right? And you, it was like a crooked house and the, you know, there was no windows door was kept on swinging open and they had to close it with straw you know like like it was raining from the roof it was like that type of house so he goes and he closes the door so he can knock on it and then the door swings open right and he comes in and, and Rabzusha comes to the door and says you know Rabzusha my rabbi sent me over here to teach you to teach me how to deal with the troubles in life so Rabzusha says I don't understand he says why did he come to tell you to me he says you know like in his mind he's like I can think of a few reasons but he rabbi told me to come to you and Rabzusha says, I'm sorry, I don't know, like, I never had a bad day in my life. And he says, and, and this guy was smart, this, this Hasid was smart, he says, okay, you realize what was going on. He says, this person, this rabbi, this righteous person, has obviously a very difficult life. But yet, in his mind, he never had a difficult, he never had a difficult day in his life. I mean, he has water leaking from the ceiling, he has a never difficult day in his life. We complain if the heating is not working for us. Call the hotel manager. I'm getting my money back. I'm going to sue them. I know a good lawyer. You know, you're going over there. I'm like, are you re- relax for a second. Take a deep breath over here. For You know, like, what? You know, all right, so you'll live. You're not, it's not life and death that's going on over here. But there's something very interesting when you, deep into, when you dig into this story. That many people think, like, Rabzusha overcame his suffering. He didn't overcome his suffering. That's incorrect when you're looking at this story that way. He didn't see his suffering to begin with. There was nothing that was suffering. Everything he saw was great. So when it's a, it's a different perspective in life that, oh, okay, I see something bad, it's really good. No, 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 you don't understand it. Nothing was bad for him. Everything was good. Bad didn't even begin. That's why if somebody would have came over to him and says, how do you, under, how do you go through your suffering in life? He said, listen, as you see, I've suffered, but I was able to overcome it. He didn't say that. What did he say? He says, I never had a bad day in my life. Because every day that he had, regardless of the leaking roof, regardless of the swinging door, regardless of the no windows on the window, it was good. Everything was amazing. Was that his personality or was that because he learned a lot of Torah? Because he worked on it. Yeah. I haven't met a person yet that had that type of personality. (laughs) Yeah, it's very difficult. Maybe he will... He worked on himself to become like that. Yeah. It depends on when he worked on it. If somebody goes, so it depends. Some people work, what you're asking is a very good question. Some people work on their problems when they have a problem. Some people work on the problems before they have the problems. So they work, for example, so sometimes I get people that, that uh, you know, I speak to them and it's very obvious they need to practice, the, they need to learn emunan bitachon. That's what they need to do. So I tell them this is what you need to study, this, is what, this should be your focus in life. This should be your, your main, main focus. Other people, 
they realize they need to work on it before the problems come up. So they work on it, so when the problems come up, they're no, they know how to deal with it. Righteous people, the people that you're dealing with, you know, the, 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 you know our sages, they're not working on problems when it comes up. They're working on problems when they're learning on it. So when they learn it, this is really the fundamental thing when you're, you're coming to a Torah class. When you're, coming to, when you're learning anything about Torah, it's not about listening to the class, getting entertained, or learning about something new, or understanding a concept. The, the, the main focus is taking something out of that class and implementing it into your own life. If you don't do that, you've lost a very, very, very large part of the whole point of the Torah. The point is to learn it. So you have some people learn it Murab Bitechon, but they don't really internalize it. They learn it, they like the stories, they like the concept, it's very nice, it's very warming for the heart, but they don't actually internalize it. Then you have the people that actually internalize it. Those are the people that actually developed a immunity to hardships in life because they worked on something before the problems happened. The correct way, which is the way the righteous people do it, is when they're learning the Torah, when they're learning everything about, you know, being humble, not being angry, they're practicing what they're learning right then and there. They're not waiting for when the problem arises. So when you're looking at, like, let's say the story of Rabzusha, Rabzusha learned about, obviously, he knew about all these things. So when the problem arose and, and it came up, he knew how to handle it. So yeah, you could say he worked on it, but it doesn't mean that he worked on it when the problem came about. Make sense? Okay, so now... Let's try to understand what are the reasons that God made um, these these bitter waters. So the first the first answer I'll go through a few answers. The first answer I want to give you is from Rabbi Fran. Rabbi Fran says something very interesting. Moshe Rabbeinu goes to God and he says, "Listen, I sinned against you because I used the word as in a negative terminology." What did God in Moshe Rabbeinu in Exodus in Shemot chapter five verse twenty three? It says the terminology "me'az" to when it, when Moshe Rabbeinu goes to God. It says "me'az" when I came before Paral, when you told me to go in front of Paral that I should let the Jews out. What happened? Paral made it more difficult. Made it more difficult for the Jewish people. So instead of going and saving the Jewish people, you made it more difficult for them. So Moshe Rabbeinu used a derogatory term towards God, if I could say it that way of the terminology me'az, from then. So now Moshe Rabbeinu says, now that, what am I going to do? I'm going to use the same words that I used as Yashir Moshe. Now Moshe is going to sing shira and going to show, sing the praises of God. Because in the beginning, me'az, first Moshe Rabbeinu saw the negative part of it. But now that he sees the positive, which we're going to soon explain, now as Yashir Moshe, now Moshe Rabbeinu is going to sing the shira and, and, and the prayer for, you know, for God. Now, when Moshe Rabbeinu went and Moshe Rabbeinu prayed to God and said, listen, the Jewish people need water. There's only bitter water. What are we supposed to do over here? So what did God do? Showed him the bitter tree, take the bitter, bitter branch, throw it into the water, it's going to turn something sweet. Now, the normal procedure, if you take something bitter, let's say coffee, for example, you don't make it more sweet by putting horseradish inside it, right? Because it doesn't make sense. It's just going to make it more bitter. If you want to make something bitter sweet, you take sugar, which is sweet, or honey, whatever it is, and you put, or Splenda, you're going to put it into the coffee, and that's, the sweet is going to make the, the, the thing that's bitter more sweeter. But what God did over here was did a miracle within a miracle. Because here you have a, you have like a, a large amount of water. You could dump a thousand pounds of Splenda in that water, or honey and sugar and everything in that water, it's not going to make it. There's, you know, there's certain cases where it's like, it's a lost cause. You know, like you can't, you could dump as much sugar as you want in here. It's not changing them. It's going to stay bitter. But what God did something, that the miracle was that not only God said, throw something inside of it, throw something bitter. Even the sweet wouldn't have done anything. But throw something bitter inside of there and then see what happens. 
What was the lesson? There's obviously a lesson going on up here. The lesson is that sometimes in life, God is teaching us, is that the bitter thing that we see, that looks very bitter, and we put there's more bitter and more bitter and more bitter that comes into it, it's going to end up being very sweet. The, the things in life, the difficulties in life that we have, usually turns out sweet. It always turns out sweet. It's usually, I only say, because sometimes we see it. Now, what had happened with Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu originally came in, and he... He saw the, the, the story in a chronological order. He says, I came, you told me to go to Paro. I went to Paro. Instead of making their workload lighter or letting the Jews go, Paro made the workload harder. So by me coming, I made it worse for the Jewish people. So why did you send me? And then what happens? And then the Jewish people left and then they had the divine revelation and they realized something very important. Originally, the Jewish people were supposed to stay 400 years in the, uh, in, in Egypt. Really, according, you know, if you do the calculation, they did stay for 400 years, but it was supposed to be 400 years of, of slavery. But God saw something very, very imperative that the Jewish people, if they would have stayed any longer, they would have lost they would have not been able to redeem. They would have went to such a low level, they would have been able to redeem. So why did God do? God took the slavery that they had, made it even stronger, so they don't have to stay a full term, a full sentence, and this way they're going to be able to leave. So when Moshe Rabinu comes in, and Moshe Rabinu says, you know, Me'az, when I came over to Baal, I don't understand. But now that Moshe Rabinu, that all the Jews left, and they had a divine revelation, and they realized the divine plan, they says, oh, oh, oh. Oh, you ever had that in life? Oh, yeah, I kind of get that. Now that we see that the whole purpose that God made the work harder was that we would be able to get out. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been able to get out. So now we see that the bitter was really sweet. And that's what God's trying to show me here. The bitter waters over here, sometimes you take the bitter waters, it's not bitter. It's only the bitter that you see right now. But in essence, you'll see that it's really going to be, uh, it's really going to be very sweet. That's very true. That's a good. That's a good point. A negative plus a negative plus a positive. This doesn't work in all areas in life. You know, I have to because I've had this question come over to me. If I steal from somebody who stole something, double negative. I'm doing a mitzvah. You know, it so like, it, I think more that 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 even like really painful, horrible things, like traumatic things that like like feels like really bad, and like we think like it's bad, but like maybe it's like. I'm saying it is good, but like maybe God made it like happen, happen like to us to make us better. I it's a hundred percent true. Like, to like then do something. So we us. see that all the time. Like how many times people go on a, a shidduch date and they think like this is the one, and then the guy or the girl, whatever it is that you know you're listening, you know, like they break up and they break the heart, and they're like, I can't believe this would happen. And only like back then, it's like very difficult. And only later, like after like five, ten years, whatever it is, you realize that everything happened was really for the best. And it's Business opportunities. You go into a business opportunity and it fails, and you're like, I can't believe this happened. And but then eventually you see that because of that, bah, 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 something amazing happened. In life, that's the way usually that it works. That you'll see like bad things happen. You'd be like, I don't understand God. Like, why did this happen? But then you go down the line and you look back, and I, and I, I really recommend people to do this because I've done this myself, and it's amazing. You look back in life and you be like, you know, like why did I do this? Like, how did I end up over here? And you realize, like, how God was orchestrating, pulling all the strings to get you to where you are. And there was no way that you were going to get in here unless you had all that bad. You would have been stuck in that in that situation unless the bad came. So this is a lesson really, uh, really for life. Okay, so now another reason why God made this uh, bitter waters. The... 
Jewish people realized that they came over there, they're traveling in the desert for three days. They didn't have any water, they didn't have anything. And finally they came to the water and they saw that it was bitter. So they came to the point to the realization that everything is all dependent on God. Everything depends on God. So they started going and they started praying to God. They realized that in this way, when they, when they have the faith in God, they, get, they receive the merit that furthermore that they will be able to have more miracles happen to them and that they will be able to receive the Torah. God tested them in a way to see how they're going to go and how they're going to react. Another reason also is that they did not study the Torah. And that they, they had parts of the Torah. They didn't study it. And because they didn't study it, by the way, they didn't study, we said they, they traveled for three days. They didn't study for three days. That's why the sages implemented that every three, within three days, there is a Torah reading in shul. So you have Shabbat, you have Monday, and you have Thursday. So you don't go three days without, without hearing words of Torah, even though you're not supposed to go even one day without hearing words of Torah. But the minimum... Is you can you, you you know it's not even the minimum it's the minimum should be minimum should be minimum you, you can't have even three days that goes that, that you don't listen, you don't uh, learn Torah so now we know the Torah is likened to water so because the Jewish people instead of going and studying the Torah what they were talking about previous they're talking about the past what they're going to do what they did instead of discussing the Torah so because the Torah is likened to water because they starved themselves of the spiritual waters God took them away it starved them from the physical waters as, as well. Now, what did God do? God made them throw a tree branch into the water. Why a tree branch? Because I know it says in, in Mishlei, in Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 8, it says, The Torah is known as a tree of life. It's a tree of life. Why else? So God's telling them, hey, listen, you want to get everything back? Take the tree of life. Take the Torah that you have. You put it into the bitter, you'll realize, you'll realize the sweet. Because the, the concept is like, it's very simple. It's mentioned again and again in Torah. If you follow the Torah, all will be sweet. If you don't, if you stray, it's going to be bitter. And again, again, we see these lessons that come up in the Torah. Another reason is, a very fascinating reason, is that God wanted to show them something. And this is really parallel to the plague of the blood. Now what happened to the plague in the blood? God went and God took clear, pure, crystal water and turned it to something that's undrinkable. You can't take the good water and he turned it into bad water. So what did God do now? It says God, God was showing them that He could do miracles that contradict one another. He took bad water, He took, I'm sorry, good water, and He made it bad. Now He's going to show you how He's going to take bad water and make it good. To show you the power of God is above and beyond. Everything is capable in God's hand. God was teaching the Jewish people a lesson, one after another, to show the Jewish people the capabilities of God. God is capable of everything. You're in the worst situation, He can make it the best. You're in the best situation, He can also make it to the worst. Everything is possible. Additional reason is, is that the Egyptians were talking bad against Jewish people. They went and they said that the Jewish people were committing adultery. And you know the way that it works, when somebody says something, it sticks in your mind. Imagine somebody comes over, not to you, imagine somebody comes over to somebody else and says, um, you know, your spouse, uh, you know what they do really at work, right? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, right? Like, I'm not, I'm like, no, what, what, what do you mean? What are they doing? Like, no, nothing. I, I, you know, I didn't mean anything. Uh, uh, what? Uh, what? Someone's calling me. I gotta go. Right? And you just like, what, you know, run away. Now, what's that person gonna think? The worst. Because it's gonna blow in mind. Like, what do you mean? What are they doing? What are they doing? You know, like, what's going on? Like, the second that you implant a thought in your mind, your, your mind runs with it. And it goes on and to like, to, to who knows where. So the Jewish people were, you know, spoken about by the Egyptians. Be like, oh, well, they committed a, this one is not really faithful, and this one's not really faithful, and this one's not really faithful. So in their minds, you know, it started playing games. So what did God do? It says that God tested them with this water. Well, how did he test them? He did something very, very amazing. We know that if, let's say, a woman is, 
is, the, the Torah tells us if a woman is suspected of being unfaithful, there is, she's known as a sota, right? So there's a sota water. Now what do they do with the sota water? They take a water, they write God's name in it, they put it in the water. Now the woman drinks this water. If the woman is, did not commit to any adultery, that was, you know, did not commit anything bad, then the water is gonna be very beneficial for her. If it's not gonna be bad, if, if she did do something wrong, then the, it's gonna cause her to, you know, explode basically and die, you know, the nicest way possible. So, what did the, what did God do? Says the Jewish people, they were nervous now about. So God made all these bitter waters, sota water. We said that Moshe Rabbeinu took the tree, what did he write on it? He wrote the Shema of Wash, he wrote the Shema, he, he basically, God made sota waters. So he made the sota waters over here, and everybody drank from it. The men, the women, everybody drank from it. When they saw that nobody went and nobody died from it. So now this, this solidified all the relationships. So now we can begin seeing the, now you can begin seeing the good really that it's in the bad. None of them committed adultery. One of the reasons that they were able to leave Egypt is because they could, they refrained from immoral acts. So then why, what made them be on the 49th level of Oh, so they did, a, you know, so, so one of the things is Zerbodevodazah and Zerbodevodazah, they committed, you know, they uh, worshipped the idols. They did, they did things that brought them to the lowest level. But not that they committed all the worst sins possible. So our generation now would be compared to... Can I say no comment? Am I allowed to say no comment? <laughs> I, you, know, you know what? Hold that question. Let me, let me just think about it at the, at the end of the class. So... So no, I, I, let's let's finish this and then we'll we'll, we'll speak about that that comment. So now, a question. So what happened was over here. Originally, they came into the waters. It's better, God. What's going on over here? Uh, but meanwhile, the relationship had some strain in it. Now all of a sudden, God took the name, put it into the water. Now the water turned into sota water. Now everybody drinks the waters. Now everyone says, "Aha, you see over here." So now all of a sudden, there's shalom. Everybody's happiness. So a happy wife, happy life, happy spouse, happy. It works both ways. So all of a sudden, the Bitter waters turned sweet in more than one ways. They started seeing that instead of, you know, the, the, the utter despair that they had with this water, it was really all for the benefit. And the final re- uh, second to the final reason is that the Jewish people realize is that in life, they're going to go into some difficult situation. God was like training them. Then when there's a difficult situation, you pray. And what happens when they pray? We saw over here, God answered them immediately. So you pray, God answers. That's the way that, so the Jewish people were being, were being taught, were being, you know, they were strengthening their faith, conditioning them to accept the Torah and realize understanding their, um, uh, their faith as well. And finally, the final reason is that they came to the realization that the water God threw this, you know, Moshe, God told Moshe Rabbeinu to throw this, you know, piece of wood inside over here. And this wood had God's name in it, but the, the wood still, the water still looked dirty. And they drank it and it was really good, it was really beneficial for them. God was teaching them, it's not the, they thought that it was gonna make them sick. They thought that it was gonna make them, you know, it's gonna harm their body. God was teaching them, it's not the sicknesses that harm your body, it's not the diseases, it's not the food, it's not the drinks, it's not anything, it's only God that either causes you to get sick or causes you to get healthy. Obviously, you have Ishtadut, you have to do it, and there the Gemara says also, there's only the, you know, the hot and cold, whatever, we're not gonna get into all that, all that detail, but bottom line is everything is from God. Everything is from God. So this is why this is why it says that um, this is why it says in, which, which pasuk is this from? It says over here in uh, Exodus chapter fifteen verse twenty six. 
It says, You go and you listen to your, the voice of your God. And you're going to do what's righteous in, his, in, in the eyes. And you're going to listen to his commandments. And you're going to guard all the laws. Then, then what did God say? All the sicknesses, all the diseases that I put on Egypt, I'm not going to put on you. Because I am God, your healer. Now what's going on over here? Why specifically did God say, all the sickness that I put on Egypt, I'm not going to put on you? It's very obvious. Because the, Jew, the Egyptians, did they die from natural death or unnatural death? It was unnatural. There was nothing natural about it. God says, there's nothing natural about the world. Everything comes from God. Everything comes from God. So if you go and you listen to the Torah... Then just like the Egyptian, what it was very obvious, it was all from God, really everything is all from God. So if you listen to the Torah, if you follow the commandments, then all the sicknesses and diseases that I put on time, just like all the sicknesses and diseases, they're all supernatural. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to put on you. Why? Because I'm God, your healer. Hold your questions. We're almost finished, and then we're going to open up for questions. So the, the final thing that I want to speak about is that God gave them, it, it, at this location, God gave them a preview of Matan Torah. He gave them actually some, some commandments. He, the, the, until now, they had the Shavah Mitzvah B'nai Noach. God also gave them the Mitzvah of Kibbut Ava'im, honoring your parents. Also the Mitzvah of Shabbat. There was also Dinim, civil and business law that they gave, that they gave them. It was the circumcision, Gid Anasher, the, um, the red cow, the, the, um, the, the red, hay, you know, Paladuma, or red heifer, heifer, I don't know how to pronounce those things. Right, the red cow. Right, Paladuma. Gave them a few, uh, a few laws over here that they should go and they should, um, in, in mine, and in this location, where the bitter waters, yeah, in this, in this location of the bitter waters, before, before Hasinai. This is all before Hasinai. So, at this point in time, also God taught them that a lot of different things about like, like the plants. Like this plant is, is good for this. This plant is edible. This plant is poisonous. This plant has this medicinal cure. This plant stay away from it. He was teaching the different things. You know, uh, King Solomon also, you know, had this knowledge and he put together something called the Sefer Lefort, yeah. the, the book of remedies. He was able to go with this book. Any problem that you had, you were able to go and see the natural remedy for it and you will be able to heal. However, by the time of King Cheskiah, he went and he hid it. Why did he hid this book? Because people were no longer praying to God anymore. When somebody got sick, they you know, normally prayed to God and God would heal them. But now they had the book. Why didn't you pray to God? They had everything that was going for them. So they went and they, they stopped praying for it. So King Cheskiah saw that they stopped praying for it. So what did he do? He went and he hid the book so people go and start you know, praying for it uh, you know, again. This is a you know, similar story that we had um, with... Uh, we said this before regarding a person who wanted to learn the language of animals. So he wanted to learn the language of the animals, and he begged, he begged someone who knew about, teach me about the language of the animals. He didn't want to, he didn't want to, the guy was a pest, he was a nudnik. And finally he said, fine, you know what, I'll teach you the language of the animals. And he taught them the language of the animals. This guy's walking home one day, he overhears the birds talking. He says, you know, this guy, which is his name, here's his name, so he's like listening. And he says, uh, you know, his uh, barn is going to burn down today. He says, my barn is going to burn down today. That night he goes, he takes out all the animals from his barn, and he, um, and he puts them in, in a different location. That night his barn burned down, and he's like, oh, this is amazing. Look, I saved myself from the, you know, from the disaster of, the, of, of that. So thank God that I, I learned the, the language of the animals. The next day he goes, he, he's walking out in the forest, he overhears other animals talking, and says, you know, today this guy's prized possession, his main horse, is gonna go and he's gonna run away. So he, he went and he made sure that everything was locked, everything was, was stayed, that the, the horse is not gonna run away, and his horse didn't run away. And he's like, this is amazing, I'm saving myself from so many hardships. So one hardship after another hardship after another hardship, the guy saves himself. Finally, one time he goes and he, and he overhears this, um, the, you know, the birds talking and he says, listen, he says, now the person's, this person, he hears his name, his son is gonna die tonight. 
So the guy's like, how am I going to protect that? He runs over to this wise man. He says, listen, you've got to help me out over here. He says, I fixed everything that the birds and the animals told me. But now I don't know what to do. He says, they told me that the, you know, my, my, my son is going to die. How am I supposed to protect that? So the wise man says, listen, he says, why do you think God was sending you all these trouble, you know, tribulations? He's sending you, say, you should do chuvash, you should repent against yourself. But you thought you're smarter than God. You went and you decided you're going to steal, you're going to move all your animals away from over here. You're going to prevent your horse from running away. You're going to prevent all the problems from happening, but you didn't fix yourself. If you didn't fix yourself, so finally God's going to have to do something that you can't take away. And this is, the, this is really the story of our life. There are many times in our life that we have hardship after hardship after hardship. Well, God is sending us signs. We have to wake up. Instead of saying, you know what? You know, maybe I need to move. I change my zala. I need to do this. Now, maybe keep Shabbat. Maybe keep kosher. Maybe keep sinuot. Maybe do things that you're supposed to do. Instead of starting to worry about all the things that you should be changing, maybe think about in the spiritual aspect, what am I supposed to be doing? Obviously, if you have to change something in a physical sense, change it. But the bottom line, everything that happens, there's a spiritual root that cause that happens to it. So God was teaching them a very, very important matter over here. God was teaching them that what? That everything is in the Torah. Everything is in the Torah. All the remedies, all the problems, everything is in over here. If you follow the Torah, if you follow the laws and the commands that I give you, you'll be good. You'll be golden. You'll be solid. If you do not follow the Torah, if you go against, you're going to be smarter than God. You have a connection to God that you know you can do whatever it is that you want. Guess what? There are going to be reminders. Unfortunately, we don't want these reminders, but they're going to come if you don't listen to God. And if you don't listen to God, this is what you, this is what's going to happen. So learn the lesson beforehand. Learn the lesson from the story of Ma'ad. This is the lesson that God gave them before they got the Torah. The lesson was is that you have to realize that everything is in the Torah. Your whole life, your happiness, your everything is right over here in the Torah. If you learn it, good. If you don't, may God have mercy on your soul. Questions? Um, yeah, you had a question. Two things. Um, I learned, um, Rabbi Nachman says that um, uh, um, unhappiness causes like illness. Um, so, I don't know, just like a point to like, add. And also, like, um, depression, whatever, being, being like sad. And like also, um, if Hashem said that, like, why do rabbis get like ill? I'm saying. So, Okay, so I'm happy that you actually brought this up. So, like, there are many reasons. Let's just be very, 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 very clear. No one is God as accountant. No one's going to say, you know why this happened? Because I don't know. There are many things. You have rabbis that get sick, they lose money. They have righteous people that have very terrible lives. Only God knows the answer. Some, sometimes it's for this reason, sometimes for that reason. There's so many reasons that go for it. But one thing you know is that if you follow the Torah then you won't, get, you won't get harmed. Oh, but you see people that follow Torah that they somehow they get harmed. Yeah, there's a calculations for everything. It could be a previous life. It could be, a pre- you know, whatever. Re- Who knows? We cannot give the answers. It could be that the harmful is really good. It could be the harmful is really bad. Whatever it is, we don't know. But one thing we do know is what God told us straight forth in Torah. If you follow my commandments, I'm not going to put any of the sicknesses of Egypt on you. So then, like, why do it if, like, righteous people get ill? I'm sorry. It's just the, you, so your question is like, but after all that, but still why? Yeah. Right. No, I, I, your, your question is a good question. And I can only answer with, I'm not God's accountant. I have no clue. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I mean, we gave plenty of answers in the classes that we gave on that. We gave in the Divinity Series. We have a previous I've class on that. Like, right. Before. So, it could be. Yeah, it's very possible. It's going to be for... Like, 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 why bother being good if, like, good people get really bad things? In general, if you look at it, there's always exceptions to the rules. In general, good people have a good, bad people have a bad. There's always exceptions to the rule. And how do I know that? Oh, but you could start giving me... 
when you start speaking to a lot of people, you start realizing people think, well, people really have it good, they don't really have it so good. Yeah. Or people really have it bad, they really have it pretty amazing. So, like, it's not about money, it's not about health, it's about the overall, you know, concept of picture. things. The overall picture, thank you. So, yeah. Um, and then you had a, you made a comment, oh, nowadays, where are we nowadays? I wanted to bring it up. Where are we nowadays? If that, we mm-hmm. fell to the 49th, 49th level, Actually. you know, in the time when we left Egypt, so what are we doing nowadays? So, First of all, there is a very, 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 very large difference, huge difference between us and Egypt. Does anybody know what the difference is? We have the Torah. Ah, excellent. Very good. Ooh. And nowadays we have the Torah. So they also have their version of Torah, though. They had the. They didn't have the. They have the. They have the Shabbat But no, they have the things that were. They were brought down with them. But the Torah is. It makes a whole world of a difference. So even though, but be, before even we, we don't even have to even delve in that because, in essence, yes, we're in a in a generation that has a lot. That to improve, but at the same point in time, we're in a generation that's doing so much amazing things. Like, look how much yeshivot there are. Look at how many people are coming back, uh, you know, to, to to the religion. That people that fell off either from communists, from World War II, from the whatever it is that they went through in their life, their grandchildren, their children are coming back to Judaism. So, you have something that even though we would think that yeah, we're on a low spiritual level. But look at the positive that we have nowadays. Look at the amazing things that the Jewish people are doing. The Jewish people, even on the lowest of the you know lowest level, that we're able to go, we're able to come back closer to God. This is the first time in history where the children are bringing the parents back to religion. When did you have this ever before? You have the children being more religious than the parents. It's something that's unprecedented. So even though we could say with the lowest level, but you know we're we're doing amazing things. Maybe may God help us go and continue to grow in this way, and this way we'll hopefully bring the Mashiach in the good way, not in the bad way. That the you know because good Mashiach come either from the good or from the you know from the bad. Either we fall too low or we get too high. So when we come from the good way that we don't have to follow all the chevle Mashiach that we have to deal with. Amen. Yeah. So you mean what? Why did they merit the Torah? Why did they merit? So, so. I was actually thinking that. Yeah. The first of all, there was a few reasons why they merit to go and leave Egypt, right? So we know they went to the lowest of low. They didn't, uh, um, you know, they didn't change their names, didn't change language, whatever. All the you know things that they merited to not to not uh, to to be able to go out. But there was two aspects that we have to focus on over here. Number one. Number one is what actually what I just said, regarding things that they married. But number two, probably more important thing was, is that God had to speed it up that they would leave because if they wouldn't have sped it up, they would have been stuck there forever. Meaning that God was going to give the Torah to the Jewish people. Now the question was when. Now if God would have waited, we would have fallen too low and we wouldn't have been able to receive it. So we came to the point that we needed to leave to get it out in the most, you know, it, it was more from the, negative angle from the positive angle. Like we came to such a low level that if God wouldn't take us out, we would have never been relieved. So it's not in the essence of what we do till we deserve it, even though, you know, what did we do to deserve anything? In life, that's really, we don't deserve anything. But what God, in, what happened this way versus what happens, when, well, could it happen in Mashiach, either from the positive or the negative, either we're going to fall to the lowest level and then God is going to take us out, or we're going to fall to the, we're going to go from the highest level and God is going to take us out. However, we don't want to fall to the lowest level. Because we see in Egypt, even though, you know, the Exodus and all this sounds amazing and fluffy and it's amazing, or, you know, it's beautiful, uh, you know, in a certain aspect. But at the same point in time, 80% of the Jewish people didn't make it out there. So, uh, you know, the Jari Egyptian, you know, there was a very, there was a lot lot of deaths that were going on over there. So it wasn't the most, you know, optimal solution that we could think of in our own human logic. You know, obviously God has, you know, we can't question God. Everything that God does is a reason and purpose for it. And even though we know what the reason and the purpose is. But... 
there, we would want it to happen from the positive way, that we don't have to go to, to, to the extent that we went from the negative way. And this is where Mashiach comes. It could be in two angles as well. It could either be from the negative angle, and it's going to be you know, wars and hardship and that, or it could be from the positive angle, where all the, everybody comes in and does tshuva, and they, come and, they, and they come to realization of the one God, and then we're going to realize Mashiach in the most harmonious way possible. Yeah. Um, before when you were saying like the people and not the Jewish people, you just meant the group in Erev Rav? Yeah, oh, maybe I wasn't clear on that, so thank you for bringing that up. So the Erev Rav in general were the ones that were causing the problems. All the time. Not the ones that wanted to stay. Yeah, the majority, all the problems, right? Majority is the Erev Rav. It's still spilled over to the Jewish people, but the majority of the issues over here, but they converted, so they were considered as the Jewish people. So the majority of the issues was the Erev Rav. But at what point were we the Jewish people? Is this before all this or only after we got the So your question is a good question. When, can, when is a Jew considered a Jew? Is a Rama Jew? That's a good yeah. question. It's a whole, a whole class in itself. After, what, what, yeah. It's a good question. It was, you know, Avraham was when it was a Jew, the Jews go through... The bottom line is, is that there was a, some sort of a conversion going on in Har Sinai, which we're not going to get as a whole class in itself. Why, why because, do we... Sorry, yeah, yeah, go. Because if we weren't, like, labeled Jew, how, how did the Egyptians differentiate, like, you be a slave because you're a Jew? We were known as Bnei Israel. Bnei Israel was the children of Yaakov Avinu. Okay. So we were in Goshen. We were in that. We were. It was different. We separated for to a certain extent from there. So they knew who was. I know, they didn't call them Jewish, or you know, they called them you know Ivri or whatever it was that they you know. Yeah. So they they um. But there was there was a very differentiation, a very you know, fine, strong, thick line between Egyptian like, and Jewish. They weren't keeping Shabbat yet. Right, so they weren't keeping all the commandments until they got it. They they kept their, the, you know, the certain things that they kept, but uh, the Torah wasn't given yet. The Torah was, so who kept the Torah, the commandments? We know that the Avraham Avinu, Yitzhak Avinu, you know, Yaakov Avinu, they kept the Torah, you know, they kept all the laws that they kept. But to a certain extent, when the Jewish people went, they didn't, they, you know, they lost a lot of it. They, well, that's why God had to teach them. That, for example, He taught them on Ma, over here before before they came to this uh, to this location of the bitter waters. God taught them they also had a few laws, and then God taught them a few laws over here. And we'll see as time goes on. God teach them until they get to House Now, where they receive everything. Uh, question? Yeah. Um, no, like you, like kind of like answered it. I was going to ask, like, um, why do we learn like about like Abraham, like all, all that, if like they like weren't like Jewish per se? Yeah. We're so okay. So cuz I could go on yeah. a different uh, well in essence, you know, the since Adam Rishon we're learning about it cuz there are things that we're not learning about history. This is very very important when you're looking in the Torah even though there's a lot of historical facts in it, it's not a history book. It's a book, it's a sefer, it's a divine book that's you know uh, information to go and give us to better our lives. There's a reason why we know about Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. Reason why we know about Adam and Noah. There's everything there's lessons and there's important things to learn from these things. So why we're learning about it first of all there are our ancestors. Noah, Adam, everybody you know is our ancestors and it, it there's there's a um, maybe we could do a class about this once about like how things change over time and how like from Adam Alishan how God you know, allowed people to have the free will, but yet orchestrated. It's a fascinating idea when you think about the big picture, as opposed to the little picture of where you're going right now and how the world went in, in the in a chronological order. So, so then Goyim could like also learn it because if it's just like a book to like help us. So Goyim are able, non-Jews are able to go and learn the seven Noachar laws, where they were commanded to, and they're able to learn the written law. The problem is that they're not able to learn the oral law. Yeah. Is where they have there's a, yeah. Oral laws, Mishnah. Mishnah, Gemara, yeah. No, yeah, anything oral, yeah. And like, 
regression and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, to a certain extent. Any other yeah, question? So you said we weren't allowed to, they weren't allowed to go back to Egypt. Does that apply to now? To a certain extent, yeah. yeah. People are not supposed to go back to Egypt. Chacham of Adai Yosef has a long, long chuba on this, on what he's supposed to do, to what extent, and what that. That's a whole long topic in itself, if you're allowed to go back to Egypt, yeah. But what was considered Egypt? Is Egypt now? Oh, that's a good question. There are, and there are reasons, there's, there's you know, exclusions that, you know, that apply to this. It's a long topic in itself. Chacham of Yosef has a whole thing on it, you know, you know on, on this thing. It's a, it's a very interesting topic. Are you allowed to go back to Egypt? What's the extent of it? Generally speaking, the simple answer is no, you're not supposed to go back to Egypt. Uh, but, 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 you can ask all your questions. Yeah, that they're good. What well, is Egypt now? What well, was Egypt back then? Well, you know, whatever. There's a bunch of, uh, you know, discussions to have on it, but it, it, it is a topic to discuss. Um, Back to the Arab part, how they were, were they sort of like doubting God, even though, like, after everything that just happened, they were still, we're not so sure about God? To a certain extent, you kind of could say that, that why are they doubting God, and in, in, in a certain extent, you see that there are ones, you know, I don't know if we'll get to speak about the golden calf, the, yeah, the eagle, it depends how much time we have. Because I know there's... Um, I know there's an answer to the question of like how could they have sinned after everything that just happened. Right, right. So this is my goal. My goal is to get to Har Sinai. If we finish it earlier, then we'll continue with the hidden story until Shavuot. We'll do maybe the golden calf and we'll see what happens after it. There's an answer, right, to like how could they have sinned yeah, yeah, there's a reason of why, yeah, yeah, there's a reason for how, I don't want to get into it, but it was sort of, they did it out of, if I could say, like out of the goodness that they were trying to, you know, they were trying to. They they lost Moshe Rabbeinu was an intermediary, so now they were using the golden calf as an intermediary. Whatever it was, they had their calculations that they had it. Um, but we'll speak about it when we speak about it, if we will speak about it. This other time when we speak so about I was it. Sort of going to say that, like, yeah. if like after the Jews saw all of that, all the miracles, everything was plain out simple, and like, how did still, they mess up? Right. No, my thing is like compared to our days when everything is not as clear, yeah. how could we be ex- expected to uh, be as, you know, to do more or so, to be as, as, faithful, so as faithful? Right. So, so your question is an excellent question. The question is, to clarify, is that if back then they messed up and they saw all this, and how are we expected to yeah, do that? So there's a few reasons why. Number one, right, we don't see the, what do you say? <laughs> right, we don't see the yeah, splitting of the sea. Um, so... <clears throat> The number one, this is why it's so important to learn about the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, because there's lessons to be learned from it. Now, even though you didn't see it, but your grandparents, great-great-grandparents, they all saw it. And there, it's specifically said that the whole nation witnesses. It's not just one, meaning a miracle that you cannot even begin to comprehend. It's a miracle that only, that you can't make it up, because the whole nation, 600,000 men, you know, you're talking about millions of people, if you take the younger children and the older adults and the women, you know, involved here, saw this miracles, these miracles and they transmitted to their children, these things are not made up. So there's lessons that we're learning from it. So we're learning from things that are not to happen. Now, granted, we're not on the level that we were there, you know, before, but everything in life we should know about it, the, you know, the, the Tanakh tells us, God created everything as an equal playing field. So even back then, for example, that they saw all these miracles, it was magic very prevalent at that time. So ah, how do I know it's magic? How do I know it's not? So nowadays, you could see miracles and be like, oh no, it's science. You know, so everything in life is all about the test. The test, yes, granted, we're nowhere, we're not even the dust of the feet compared to our ancestors on the, on the level that they were, but that's what we have to learn about, that's what we have to study about, it, and that's what we have to get from it. And, and, you know, God is going to judge us accordingly. 
to what you know to the certain, certain extent I've got which which uh, which which great sage said this that in the olden days doing a mitzvah doesn't compare to the reward that doing a mitzvah nowadays because in the olden days you know they were they had the, they're on a level but nowadays we're such on a whole low low level that every small mitzvah that you do is considered huge it's amazing you did this mitzvah it's unbelievable so everything is accordingly I also think that depending on how much you do and like each like level you like grow Hashem like expects like so much more. That's true. A righteous person, God expects more. Expects more. That's everything in life. A CEO, you're getting paid more, but you're expected more. Yeah. Yeah. So if every mitzvah is worth more than theirs, why are we still in Here. exile? Any minute. It's any minute. <laughs> any minute we're going out of this exile. We are very close. <laughs> how do you know, Ben? That's how you should know. Now, how do you know if you have a question? This is a little bit of... of um, you know, some people could take this too far of an OCD way, but how do you know if you go? And, uh, why is everybody laughing in here? Why, is everybody here OCD? Everybody's OCD. Okay. So, because if you think about something that you are like, should I do this good deed or should I do this bad? You know, like you're thinking about it, like that one good could tip the scales for everything. So, like, it's all balanced on your thing. I should just always because. Yes, that's the right answer. Yeah. That's very true. Right. Very true. The bo- I like the way that you said that. The bottom line is, is that what God wants is going to happen. Depends how you're going to get it. There's a good cop and there's a bad cop. Who do you want to speak to? Good you want to go to the good cop? You want to do the bad cop? I guess that all depends on how Everything depends on us. Yeah. Thank you. Any other questions? No? Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.